Simeon was now an old man who had waited all his life for the promise of the Holy Spirit to come true. For he had been told, you will not see death until your eyes have first seen the Messiah. When Joseph and Mary enter the temple with the infant Jesus, Simeon immediately knows that the promise has now been fulfilled. He sings, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people to be a light, to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. So much joy, so much hope. After years and years of waiting, of worshiping at the temple, and perhaps of wondering whether he hadn't just dreamed up that promise in his longing for salvation for the people. And, you know, there, there are so many layers to the feast of the presentation of our Lord in the temple, which has also been called the purification of St. Mary the Virgin and is now commonly called Candlemas. Now, I was going to embark on a detailed analysis of each one of these three aspects of today's feast day, but I thought I'd give you a break and just focus on one thing only, (laughs) Uh, Simeon and his waiting for salvation. Well, okay, if you insist, I will give a brief rundown (laughs) of the stories behind the day, the three. Then we'll get to that point. Popular demand, I do not deny. The presentation of our Lord in the temple occurs 40 days after Christmas, on February 2nd. Joseph and Mary bring their firstborn son to the temple as required by Jewish parents at some point after a child's birth. In Exodus chapter 13, God says, All the firstborn that are males shall be the Lord's. So they're presenting him to God, saying, Here, he's yours, as we agreed. But then they they sort of borrow him back after presenting him to God. One scholar that I read noted that the price for buying back the child was usually five shekels in Jesus' day. But Luke doesn't elaborate on that here. So this ritual of bringing and buying back reflects the fertility religion, a fertility religion of the ancient Near East, The deity who gave fertility had a claim on the first fruits of the field, of the flock, and of the children. Some cults back then went to the extreme of actually sacrificing their first child to a deity. So that is the story behind the presentation of our Lord in the temple. Here you are. He's yours. Can you borrow him back? Okay, so, though uh, today's Book of Common Prayer, 1979, no longer calls it this, as recently as the 1928 prayer book, February 2nd, was also called the Purification of St. Mary the Virgin. This ancient rite, as prescribed in Leviticus chapter 12, was performed in the temple 40 days after a woman gave birth, because the blood flow associated with childbirth was thought to make the woman ritually unclean. Now, I did a little digging on this, in part because the words unclean and purification seem to imply that a new mother was considered somehow dirty, and that just didn't seem right. What I found was that it's not that simple. 
nor that sexist, because as we know, sexism has never existed in the church. Uh, what I discovered was that blood was considered a potent and powerful thing that had to be contained and regulated before a woman could re-enter society. So I'd like to read this quote that I found in the People's New Testament Commentary. It's a book we often use at Bible study uh, by Eugene Boring, of all names, and Fred Craddock. Uh, and I think <laughs> this description offers an interesting parallel if it doesn't quite, you know, answer it all. They write, There are no close modern analogies in our secularized culture, but we may think of the way contamination and cleaning up are now used with reference to radiation. In both cases, blood and radiation, it is a matter of power, of potency, and how such power is to be contained and regulated so that it doesn't infect society. After childbirth, as after menstruation, the woman was charged with the sacred, dangerous power of blood, the power of life itself. One had to undergo a purification in order to re-enter ordinary society without unleashing this power in a dangerous way. Luke and his readers back then assumed all this, just as we assume today that astronauts and workers in nuclear plants may sometimes have to be decontaminated before re-entering society. I don't know if that helps. <laughs> I'll leave it to you to decide whether it helps counter that kind of anti-woman feel of this ritual. But that's what was done back then, and that is the story behind the purification aspect of this feast day. As for the Candlemas angle... Since at least the 11th century and probably earlier than that, the church has used February 2nd as an opportunity to bless the candles that will be used by the church in the coming year. Because Simeon proclaims that the baby Jesus will be a light to lighten the Gentiles, it seemed like an appropriate day for such a candle blessing, Jesus as light of the world. So that's the candlemas aspect of the feast day. But again, I wanted to talk about Simeon and waiting. And I thank you for waiting for me to get to my point. Here's this old man, promised by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he saw the Messiah, waiting years and maybe decades for his appearing. Jesus finally shows up, and Simeon sings his song about how this child will one day transform the world. He then turns to Mary and says, my dear, I am sorry to break it to you, but a sword will pierce your own soul too. With this joy will come sorrow. With new life will come death. It's no coincidence that this song of Simeon, in Latin we call it the Nunc Dimittis, which means now release, is sometimes read at the bedside of someone who's dying or at their funeral. Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace to be released according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. I have lived a life and I long for your salvation, and now I am seeing it on my death. I have lived a life and have known your salvation through the love of others and through the love I have felt from you, God. So that song of Simeon is an important part of the life cycle but it does have that sword, that sense of loss with joy. 
My question is, how long did Simeon have to wait to see salvation? And how did he manage to keep faith in it over the years? Because I don't think I would have it in me. My faith wavers almost any time I have a bad day or things don't go my way. The intention that I'm going to set with my candle this morning is to try to have more faith in God in this coming year. To trust that God is present, that God abides, and that we are not alone. I need that. But it's hard sometimes. As I emailed someone just this week, whom I think is struggling with their faith due to a partner's long-term illness, as for faith, I wish we, myself included, could stop worrying so much about how much or how little we have and just live as if we are beloved and as if we are meant to do more on this earth than just seek our own personal happiness. I think those two things would go a long way towards making life better for everyone. And one thing I do know from experience, people with, with faith deal better with hardship and suffering than do people without faith. And I imagine, and I know, that some of you struggle with the same thing. Life is hard, and you wonder where God is. I wish I had an answer for you, to prop you up as you wait, like Simeon, for whatever type of salvation your life needs. I think the answer lies in faith. There's no way about it. And I want to tell you a story. Um that I think might shed a little light on how we might carry through in times of trouble. I don't know if any of you listen to podcasts the way I do, but there's an amazing podcast called In the Dark. Has anybody heard of this podcast? We need to educate us. Um, Season two of In the Dark is the story of Curtis Flowers. Curtis Flowers is a black man in Mississippi who was imprisoned 23 years ago for murdering four people in a furniture store in Winona, Mississippi. Over those 23 years, he has insisted that he is innocent and has undergone six different trials, um, in almost every one of which the DA, the prosecuting district attorney, stacked the jury with all white folks, which is against the law. And so there were two mistrials, There were two overturns because of this guy stacking the jury, and then there were two convictions. And the last conviction, they appealed all the way to the Supreme Court last year. And understand that the reason we know about this is because there are these two fierce white women who are fearless. They went down there, and for three years, they investigated this case and basically found out that every single witness who was brought in had lied or had been given a bribe or less jail time if they fingered Curtis Flowers as the culprit. And so you listen to this podcast, your jaw is dropping, and you can't believe this is happening. But happen, it does. And so these women um, kind of find it out. So they're at the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court overturns the conviction based again on the stacking of juries, of the juries as all white. And so it goes back to Mississippi. And I just listened to the final few episodes. It's not over yet. So he's back in Mississippi, and they had a bail bond hearing. And he won. And for the first time in 23 years, for a crime he didn't commit and six trials, this man was free. And 
they recorded him coming out of jail and they had a big party with his family. His mother passed away while he was in jail. His father's still alive and he has two sisters. And they were having a party with fried fish and hush puppies. And um, what they kept saying over and over after these 23 years was, thank you, God. Thanks be to God. We had faith and we knew this would come through all those 23 years and we never stopped believing in God. And the fervency with which they say this when I heard it, two things happened. One, I started crying because I couldn't believe it. And the second was this thought, where was God in year 13? Where was God in year 6? Where was God in year 20? And that's how I think sometimes. You know, we suffer and we struggle and we don't know where God is. Why is this happening to me? Is it really that God has a plan for me to suffer? I don't think so. But that question remains. Yet what I want you hopefully to take away from this story is the faith of these people. The first thing out of their mouths is, thank you, God. We knew you would bring us justice. We waited, but we did not give up faith. And they are modern-day Simeons waiting for salvation to come to their lives believing in it, and when it arrives, rejoicing. It is not over yet for Curtis Flowers. He went home and they had a big party that night and they were up till three in the morning. And the next day, they drove him down to Jackson, Mississippi, where he got on a plane with the judge's knowledge and left the state because he's not safe there. So he had one night with his family after 23 years and now has to be in hiding while they decide whether to retry the case or not. A sword will pierce your own soul too. We have faith and we have sorrow. And they coexist, just like with Mary. And the message I hope to give you this day is don't lose the faith. Hold on to the hope. Though a sword may pierce your own soul too, I trust and I believe that you will one day know the light of salvation. Amen.